0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as our guest speaker delivers this week's message. Well, it is truly a joy and privilege to be here, to be back in this place and be reunited with so many people. Um, This is just a great opportunity. And my prayer as Preparing and you know receiving the opportunity to be here is that God would use me and God would use this message to bring comfort and encouragement if you can just keep those two words in mind we're going to be going to second Corinthians this morning, and that is what I believe paul's heart was for the the, the, the church. the Corinthian church they went through many struggles they had internal and external struggles and paul 's heart is born out in those letters that he loved those people that he couldn't be with. He hoped to be with them again, but he wanted to comfort and he wanted to encourage them. And that comes through loud and clear in his writing. Uh, We were here, and there's a picture that will come on the screen, uh, that uh, 1995, you hired a baby. I mean, I, I think I was in junior high. I look back at the picture and I'm thinking... Seriously, they entrusted kids to me? Uh, You know, I'm not even sure how I got Ginger's family to agree that I can marry her. uh, Looking, That's why actually I have a uh, goatee and I, I, I did my best to grow some facial hair because I actually was at Taylorville High School. It was quite open. I could go over and bring lunch and hang out with kids all the time. It was easy to get in there. I don't know if it still is that way or not. But the bell rang after lunch and I got, I got shut down by a teacher. Young man, get to class. I'm like, I'm 25 and married and graduate of college and the youth pastor's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm going to have to figure out something here. So I uh, I, started growing, uh, I started growing some facial hair. And there's kids in junior high that have full beards, so that doesn't even really help me out too much. But, but uh, listen, and when I think about this, uh, we were here for five years. And we witnessed God do so many amazing things. Uh, the Lord has just, you know, kept a place in my heart for the ministry for this church. And he allowed us to transition. And he's been so faithful in, my li- in our lives. And this was uh, our last Sunday. The last Sunday. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the last Sunday we were here, this was a gift given to us. And inside of this photo album that the, you know, the youth team and somebody put this thing together, but the deal was it was all blank. There were no pictures. And so this week I actually had someone on a mission to see if they could find pictures. And they said, I don't know, some pictures are missing. I said, I might know a guy. (laughs) They're all in here, right? I went through and I took some of the pictures and inside of that album is just carried with me, you know, always close to my heart that God continues to use this ministry And uh, just grow people along in his work. Our last year of camp together, this was the picture, and it's quite awful. This is the picture I was looking for, the original picture, okay? Uh, If you you make it bigger, it's just complete pixelated. It's just no good. But I want to share with you the story because behind this, the next screen, is this year we actually took the trailer... We had two weeks of camp, and our church was part of that. So week one, week two, and there was somebody that donated. You see, them two go karts. We went week one, and uh, Matt Mankey made the made the super tricycle. Like we showed up. Remember, we had tri- time trials out here in the in the driveway, and and we took the best young man, the best young lady, fastest times. I think we could have done the race at Camp Chautauqua three times before anybody else finished the line. Their stuff was breaking, falling apart, and we won that thing, and we had the trailer behind the van, like, loaded up. We're taking it home. And that go-kart, we, we, it was an amazing year, and the theme of that year was start to finish, finish the race. Finish the race. And so many people, they start, we begin well, but they don't finish. And that was the theme of that year, and inside of those, you know, that go-kart and around are so many testimonies and so many stories. And here's what I love, is that eternity only will tell the, the full story. Only in eternity will we know all that God has done, because we can see some things now, but we never can see the full picture. So what's happened since then? So here's a picture, 2000. Uh, This is when Emma was born, and this is the next picture. This is at the barn, and this was her first Wednesday night, and thanks to me, she probably got RSV and ended up in the hospital. (laughs) But uh, that, that was Emma 2000. That was the picture when we were leaving. And then this is our family. This year, we had a wedding this year. Emma, no longer a baby. She got married. And uh, so they are married. They live about 25 minutes from us there. Uh, they are serving, and we get to serve with our children in ministry. What a joy. What a blessing. Got to get it together again. The next picture brings a little. Ginger was in school when we were here. She finished this year, all right? She finished this year. So uh, that was one of the conditions her mom said when when I said, can I marry your daughter? Yes, but she needs to finish college. I said, okay. So I told Gina this year, I said, we finally got that one done. And uh, so she uh, and our our oldest daughter, Emma's in nursing and uh, Ginger finished and she's a nurse now. And and uh, works and so I'm thankful for her. And the next picture is, uh, this is where we've been serving. Uh, the last time I was here to speak was 2005, right about now. And we were in the process of understanding and praying and discerning where is God going to take us? What are we going to do? Are we going to go back in youth ministry? Or what, what's God going to do with our lives? And the door opened up where we've been since 2006, Easter Sunday at Grace Community Church in Richmond. It's about uh, 30 miles from the heart of Detroit. Toward Port Huron, and we've been serving there, and we've seen God do so many, so many great things, and uh, that's where our building has been since uh, 1899. And um, so we're transitioning. The church has owned the property where our office is now Um, for about 30 years. They've been waiting on. So I know you have property outside of town, and I know that a church can go through different phases and and sensing the leading of the Lord. And what are we going to do? and which direction are we going to go? But this is, uh, this is always our plans, loved ones. It's always open. And the Lord can do what, when he wants to do, what he wants to do through whomever he wants to do it with. And so uh, our plan is to uh, be uh, relocating in the coming years. COVID has just taken all the plans and just scrapped them. And, and so, you know, the Lord, he'll provide in time. But that's where we are. It gives you a little heart. This is where we're going, all right? right. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, the title of the message is We Do Not Lose Heart. Can you say that with me? We do not lose heart. Uh, this is what Paul is writing. This is in his encouragement. The reality is, is that things change, right? We know that seasons change, highways change. Man, when I drove in, I'm like, "Where's Edinburgh? You know, what, what they do is Sharpsburg. They hid these things. I'm like, oh, they're over there. Right? Things change. Uh, you know, it, it looks different in here, and it's appropriate." You know, I mean, we, we, we make changes, we remodel, we, we try and we attempt and we, we seek the Lord's will, but there's one thing that remains the same, and it's the Lord. And when our hope is anchored in him, oh, the hope that we have. Third John chapter four was the text that I preached, 2005, that that old apostle, the last living eyewitness of the Lord Jesus. What did he say? What did he write? I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. It's the greatest joy. The other side of that coin is the, one of the greatest, probably the greatest sorrow, is when truth has been invested into someone's life and they're no longer walking in the truth. They, they go apostate. They walk away from the truth. But we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart and we do not give up hope. Paul wrote this letter. We know it as 2 Corinthians. The apostle loved them. He was not after a simple change in behavior. He didn't want to outwardly conform to make me happy. He didn't want that. He was always pursuing heart transformation a change that was inward, that would make its way and be visible and displayed. Isn't it easy to lose heart? We say it this way, to be discouraged or disheartened. Took the heart out of them. Face falls. Understand when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not just talking about a part of who we are. It's talking about our motivational headquarters. Our heart is everything that We're thinking about right now, everything that we dream about, everything that we long for. It's when your mind goes into a neutral kind of an idol. That's where your mind goes. It's what you're passionate about. We do not lose heart. What does the Bible say about the heart? Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Luke 6.45, Jesus speaking, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You ever said something, and you're like, where did that come from? I have. You react in a certain way, and then you're surprised that where did that come from? It came from in here. Oh, I want to blame the person that cut me off in traffic or wherever. I want to blame them. But it's really just showing what's deep, deep, deep in here. And the Lord sees all that. So Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. For from it flow the springs of life. And here's the beautiful thing in Christianity is there we're given this instruction that's almost impossible. Hey, guard your heart. And what do we try to do? Put walls up. I'm not going to let anybody in so no one will ever let me down. That doesn't work. Philippians, Paul writes, 4-7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which was just prayed today over a a difficult situation that I'm unaware of, but it's the peace of God. and, And so here in these moments how do I keep my heart? How do I guard my heart? Then we can preach the word to our heart and say, actually, let me preach this promise that God is the one who guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. So I will guard my heart, but really I can't keep my heart. Thank the Lord he keeps me in Christ. Amen to that. See, If you're just handed the keep your heart, try harder, do more, it just doesn't work. We've all been there, done that, tried that. But to go back to the promise that God is the one who keeps us, to those who are in Christ Jesus, now there I can find great foundation for life. So, loved ones, we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, and, you know, here, the first word here is therefore, so he's, he's just pulling up this whole, this gospel work and the, and, the, and the power of the gospel. And he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, he's speaking of Satan, of the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, will you take your word and through your servant, serve by your spirit, your people. For those who belong to you, for those who are in Christ, I pray, Father, that they will be comforted and encouraged. For those who are not in Christ, oh, may today they be convicted and compelled to come to Christ. You are our only hope, Jesus. And so we appeal to you. And we thank you that you... Are interceding for us. Thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning, how long can you make it without your heart? We can't make it without our heart. And there's a battle that's raging for your heart, for the control center of your life, for what drives you, your life, your thoughts, your mind, your goals. So this morning let us let us receive, all right? The comfort and the encouragement that comes from the word of God from God himself. What do we need, all right? What are we going to find? Number 1 that we will fulfill our ministry. That we will fulfill our ministry. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's writing to a church, a church that had many struggles. I know you as a church. I was here for a while. And here's the thing that's long gone from my mind: is that you know, if I just went to that church over there, then everything would be great. No, it's not true. There's people. I've been in Kentucky; they have struggles. I've been in Michigan in two churches. Everywhere you go, you're like that person was in my last church, and they're here now. They don't look the same, but they talk. They think the same. That. They kind of function the same. Maybe the Lord is actually trying to work on me of how I relate to that person. Imagine that. Oh, that we will fulfill our ministry. And if we're going to have a word that's going to define this, it's going to be humility. What is it going to be for Calvary? What is it going to be for where I'm at grace? If we're going to have a ministry that is fulfilled, it's going to be that we're marked by humility. Humility. The economy, where I, I was a youth pastor. We served in Michigan for about four years. And it was 2003 and four. we built an addition on our building, and then we just had people losing their jobs left and right, left and right, just job loss. They, people weren't buying cars. Price of gas was up, so they stopped buying the cars that the big three make money on. So people were losing their jobs left and right, and I, I was doing what I do really well. I was playing ball in the gym on a Wednesday night. And they're like, hey, Brian, come on in. I'm like, all right, I'll be right back, kids. Sit down. I'm like, this meeting feels a little strange. Listen, we can't make ends meet. And we have three pastors, and you're the, well, we just think God's going to use you somewhere else. I was like, okay, very good. I come out, Ginger's in the car with the kids, like, well, what was that about? Well, we're going somewhere else. Okay, And the Lord provided, that was in the season that we were last here, you know, just to fill the pulpit. And the Lord has been so faithful. Here's the reality. When we were at that church, uh, the pastor was Wayne, and he was preaching through Revelation. And he was talking about how God, the servants, the stars in Revelation are in his hand, and he moves them wherever he wants to move them. They're, They're not property of a church. They're his. And at any point in time, we sing the song, though you slay me, right? At any point in time, you can move, and I'm like, that's a really good message. And however long it was, like, yeah, that's going to be you. And we had no idea where we're going until somebody called from Richmond and they're like, hey, they were part of our church there in Sterling Heights. And they said, we grew up in Richmond and our church doesn't have a pastor. What about you? I'm like, okay, I'll go fill the pulpit and the rest is history, you know. This word for ministry is where we get the word deacon. It's not a power position, it's serving. It's an honor to serve. When our ministry is marked by humility, it's because of this word. Mercy, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. So ministry, loved ones, it tenderizes our hearts. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. This is mercy. We're marked by mercy that in Scripture that we're actually trophies of God's mercy. Now, what is mercy? It's different than grace. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. So when I keep that in mind that I actually deserve hell, I didn't deserve, and I was so thankful, and, and uh, we stayed in Springfield, and I, I actually went and made a Chick-fil-A run supporting the uh, Trunk or Treat there, and I went by the place where when I got the, we got the call in, in Kansas City where I was working to come and and candidate here, and then we moved here, and the first time that I went with Branch to the, make a hospital visit, and we went, and we sat down in a restaurant, and, and the food came, and he said, let's pray, and I was like, Oh, this is amazing. After I've been working in a corporate world, and if I'm praying, it's me alone bowing my head. And I'm like, I get to be in ministry. It's mercy. Then I look at the picture, and I'm like, whoa. That was like multiplied mercy. You know, like we'll take a, we'll take a chance on this kid. Are you sure? I mean, I don't know. If, I don't remember if they actually, like, looked at my college degree, if I graduated or not, or just signed up for college somewhere online. Online didn't even exist then, but we don't even deserve God's mercy. I think that's what the Lord has really helped me and is helping me to see is, is mercy. We don't deserve a place in God's ministry. Paul says, we, we, I have this, this ministry by mercy of God. And so mercy then characterizes our ministry. It tenderizes our hearts, and then it characterizes our ministry. That if we serve in this ministry, by God's grace, in the power of the Holy Spirit, then Paul lists some things. He says, if we're characterized in our ministry by mercy, then we're going to oppose dishonesty. But we have, he writes, renounced, disgraceful, underhanded ways. That's just lies, that Satan is the father of lies. He's the master of deception. So so the church, the people of God, those who are in Christ, we want to be as far away as possible from that reputation. So he says we oppose dishonesty. We reject hypocrisy. He says we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper. The word could be falsify to tamper with God's word. What does that mean? That we don't change the message because the culture is changing. Oh, may God help us to be marked by mercy because if I'm marked by mercy, then by no means am I going to be, Matthew 7, 1, judgmental of people that I'm better than yours. No, I've been shown Mercy. And mercy, if you remember when when Jesus gave the the parable of the good Samaritan and who's my neighbor, and it all boils down to the end, and Jesus turns the question, who was neighbor to him, and do you remember that that religious person couldn't even say the word Samaritan? He said, the one who showed him mercy. That gives us the understanding, mercy is messy. Mercy is it's going to cost me to engage and get involved in someone's life. It's not just going to be a leftover, throw something in the plate, done. Mercy is if I help this guy who is left for dead, that means I'm going to have to shred my coat I'm wearing, and I'm going to get cold and the sun goes down. I'm not going to be able to use my beast because he's going to ride on my beast. Now I'm going to be sitting with him at an inn instead of making, you know, i got to get to the next exit. I'm losing time. Everybody's passing me. And I'm going to have to pay for his in, his stay. And that was the whole summation. I guess it was the one who showed him mercy. He came down alongside and got involved and it cost him of his own resources. This is the idea of what God has done when he's shown us mercy, that he didn't say from heaven, I love you. In mercy, he came born of a virgin And he lived the sinless life that you and I could never live. And in mercy, he went to the cross, and he chose the nails, and he died the death that you and I deserve. And he was buried as a criminal, and he rose again as God. And we sung about that this morning. He's alive, and we worship him, and none of us have a right None of us are entitled to be included in any aspect of his ministry. Not handing out a bulletin, not shoveling the snow, not blowing leaves, not vacuuming, not singing, not preaching. None of us are entitled to this. It's all a testimony of his mercy. So we do not lose heart. We strive then for authenticity. Paul says, here's what we're going to do by the open statement of the truth we're going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to proclaim the gospel over and over and over. It's man's greatest need. And Paul says this, we're going to embrace transparency. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What is he saying? God knows me inside and out. God knows everything about me and still loves me. God knows all the, the, just the, Nasty parts of me and still loves me. But he's changing me and he's changing you. Tony Evans says, it's not a pampering love, God's love. It's a perfecting love. He's, he's going somewhere with me and with you in Christ. And he'll finish what he started. So Paul says, God knows me and you know me. So we commend ourselves, and we're after transparency. So we oppose dishonesty, we reject hypocrisy, we strive for authenticity, we embrace trans- transparency. This is what our kids are hungry for. They want to see this in us as parents and grandparents and in the church. And if we're going to not lose heart in ministry, if people around us are going to see something different about us, it's, it's right here. This is it. This is what Paul is writing 2,000 years ago by the Spirit. So receive the comfort, receive the encouragement, fulfill our ministry. Number two, stay on mission. Stay on mission. Yeah, but COVID. Yeah, but politics. Yeah, but what's going on in our church? Stay on mission. Remember the importance of this word, unity. Strive for unity. That God's plan for reaching the nations is the church. It's plan A, and there is no plan B. Making disciples who make disciples. That's what we were doing in 5, 10, 15, 20. I don't know. We were here. I think the church celebrated 60 years. So whatever we're at now here, our church is getting ready to celebrate 60 years. Should the Lord tarry, and it's another 60 years from now, and it's somebody else, this is my prayer. This is what Paul is after. Don't lose heart and stay on mission. Fight for unity. Don't fight each other. Fight for unity. John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How well you sing, How well you preach, no. What your building looks like, no. Here it is. If you have love for one another. Oh, man, that seems so straightforward and simple. Yeah. And humanly impossible. But we're not involved in something that's humanly driven, motivated, or carried out. This is the church of the living God. His spirit cares about you. God is doing something in you and I just wanna comfort and encourage you wherever you are. And I know there are some here today and you're, you've come back today and I'm glad you're here and you're involved in other churches. Hey, this applies there. I'm preaching to myself here. This is, this is me in Michigan. This is anywhere we go. This is is it. This is what we need to be all about. So here Paul says there's a concern that we have as a church for those who are veiled. This is our mission. The gospel is is veiled to them. And if we love God and we love people, then we're going to understand that just speaking louder isn't going to solve anything because there's a veil over them. The gospel is veiled to them. And even if our gospel is veiled, verse 3, to those it is veiled to those who are perishing. They can't see the gospel. It's not good news to them. It's just news. But if someone doesn't regard themselves as headed, you know, headed for hell, a desperate sinner, and then you come and say, but Jesus loves you. Well, of course he loves me. He should love me. I'm pretty awesome. Well, you don't get the gospel then. It, why not? The, they're veiled. The gospel, Jesus is just, well, maybe he was a great prophet, a great teacher, uh, influential, it all went wrong and he died, and then, you know, and then there's others, Muhammad and Gandhi and others. No, 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 no. You don't understand the gospel but it's veiled. They can't see it. And so there's compassion for those who are blinded. Paul says it's even worse. It's not like there's just a veil externally, internally. They can't see. They're blind. They're spiritually blind. And so they're kept from seeing the light. It's like the blind man in Mark 8. Remember when Jesus did a two-stage healing? He healed a guy and it always puzzled me. I'm like, hey, well, you know, what happened there? Jesus says, how are you doing? Can you see? What do you see? I don't know. I see men. And he basically, he was talking about my vision without my contacts or glasses. I see men. They're like trees. If I don't have my contacts in, I can't see you look like trees. They're like There's a forest there, right? You know, there's, there's one person moving this way, one person moving that way. But then Jesus said, come here. Let's take this healing. And in two stages, he heals him. Why did he do that? For a reason. We can all agree on that. Jesus was using that man and a two-stage healing to show everybody around. This is what religious people are like. They can see, they think they can see, but they can't really see without me. He was using that man as a visual aid that religion will blind you to how good you are. And you think that's enough, but it's not enough. You need Jesus. But they're veiled in there blind. And in verse four, in their case, the God of this world is blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's the last thing Satan wants anyone to do is see how beautiful Jesus is, to see how worthy Jesus is. So whatever he can distract people with, that's all he's into, blind you, blind you, with your career, with whatever, keep people blinded blinded toward Christ. They're blinded by Satan, the God of this world. They're blinded by sin. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They're blinded by their own self. Here's the reality, love those. I can't see what I can't see. That's one thing beautiful in marriage. I'll be honest with you. When I moved here, we moved here, I mean, I thought Ginger had won the lottery on husbands. I've got this. I've grown up in ministry. I am the, you know, the bee's knees. The Lord has been so good to you. (laughs) Little to say, this brother had a lot, a lot, a lot to learn. Mercy. God's mercy. I think she prayed for patience or something before. Lord, I need a husband and patience. Patience. There's Brian. God answers prayer. Number three, share the message. Share the message. Let's stay on mission. And let's share the message. In this word, may God help us to be defined by clarity. Clarity. Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is the Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You hear the humility in that? I mean, just imagine if you're introducing Paul to preach today. And Paul wouldn't get up and say, hi, thank you, I'm Paul, and you know I've been here and I've been there and I've done this. And, and go ahead and hold your Bibles. I wrote that and I wrote that and I wrote that and I wrote that. And, and it's all available and you can get a best-selling book. It's, I'm in there. Paul says, no, we don't preach ourselves. And this is popular in our day. And this sells in our day. Our greatest problem is too little of self. We don't preach ourselves. There's two major errors that Paul is confronting here. Preaching that is all about the speaker is ultimately helpless. Preaching that is all about the listeners is absolutely hollow. It's not great. It's not glorious. So he's saying we don't preach ourselves. If we, if we preach, and you hear someone, and all they tell is stories and stories and, and stories, and people love to hear stories, and, well, you know, people aren't going to really, they're not really going to put up with, you know, a, a sermon that's just read your Bible, and let's understand what has God said, and what does it mean, and how do we obey that? So let's try this, and let's try that. No, 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 Paul says no way. We're going to share the message in clarity, and it's not going to be about ourselves. Why? Because none of that, preaching about the preacher or preaching about the listeners, it won't bear the weight of your soul. It's not enough. It's insufficient. It's lacking. So Paul says, hey, listen up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to preach Christ Jesus as Lord. Basically, he's saying it's all about Jesus. Corinthians It always has been. It always will be. It's all about Jesus. And this is where the message of the incarnation, God becoming man, is incarnated through you and through me, through our lives, through our lips. And the gospel is shared. And God does what only God can do, and he changes lives. He is Lord. And what is discipleship at his core? I like Mark Dever's explanation. It's just helping someone else follow Jesus. If you just, boy, what, what has happened in your life this week? What have you been involved in that just helps someone else follow Jesus? Well, I didn't go street preach, but I called somebody. I said, I'm praying for you. I prayed for somebody, and I didn't even call them. I, I reached out. I connected with, it, are we helping someone follow Jesus? Like, at the end of the day, that, that's what discipleship is. In the community of the church, helping someone follow Jesus. Well, if we're going to preach Christ Jesus as Lord, do you see what Paul's done here? He throws down the full title of Jesus, Christ. That's Messiah, the anointed one, the one they were waiting on. We're preaching Christ, and his name is Jesus. And what did the angels say? You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's Savior So he's the anointed one, he is the savior, and he's also the Lord. This is the preeminent one, the master. This is Jesus. Kairos is the word. And so Paul is saying, here's the full title. This is where we're going to pitch our tent and stay for as long as God gives us breath. It's Jesus. Christ Jesus as Lord. And the church said, Amen. amen. This is our message. This is unchanging. Romans 10. The question must be asked, have you, have you personally responded to this Jesus? That Paul writes in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you, have you done that? Have you responded to this gift? For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be, and another way to say this is disappointed, let down, put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches, here's mercy, on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in our church in Richmond, uh, for a while, about well, 15 years, I drove school bus. And there was a man, was, his wife was a bus driver, he was a bus driver. That's how I met him. They came to faith in Christ. And that was the verse. And every time I could, every time I was preaching that text, he'd be sitting right over here. I could say, Louie that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Louis is in the presence of the Lord. Cancer. Like, Why think about all of these moves and changes and relationships and interactions and these moments and decisions splits decision of, eh, maybe I'll go drive a bus and, and God brings all of these things to light. It, doesn't it sum it up what Paul is saying? We're just servants. We're just part of this by God's mercy. And hey church, I'm the great apostle Paul. No, no, actually I'm just a servant. Not for your sake. You can just tell me what to do and no, no, we are servants of yours for jesus sake see that's where the church is able to stay on mission and it's actually the mission that will last gospel-centered christ-centered humility marked by clarity oh this is where we need to be and this will comfort and this will encourage us the question here everybody had to ask about paul the apostle is how did that guy go from being saul chasing people down to Paul, the number one missionary of the church. You would have, if you lived in that day, you would have had to ask the question, what happened to that guy? He hated Jesus. He hated the church, and now he won't shut up about the church. He just keeps talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus as if he's alive and coming again. And Paul would just look at you like, you've been listening. That's good. That's good. You believe that yet? Oh, no, not yet. All right, you, all right, praying for you. Humility, loved ones, it leads to compassion, and it demands our clarity. In Mark chapter 10, in verse 42, Jesus called them to him. So this is right after, just who's going to be best? You, me, me, I'm the greatest, right, me? And Jesus says, come here, guys. You know that those who are... Considered rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, that's what we, yeah. Uh Uh-uh, 43. But it shall not be so among you. Brian's translation, knock it off. Cut it out. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve how much, Jesus, and to give his life a ransom for many. That's a pretty high standard. That's a humanly impossible standard to achieve. That's why Jesus had to say, while you're on mission, I'm with you always. You can't do it on your own. Also, let's share the message. And then fourthly, let's glorify our master. And we see this in verse 6. Remember, the reality of Christ's, and here's the word we want this, supremacy. It's the greatest. It's the one above him. That we're going to glorify our master. We have have one Lord, one Savior. There's one spirit. There, There really is one church. And local bodies meet all over this planet, but there really is one church, and we're all headed to one destination. So let's glorify our, our master. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Q, I had that all queued up to happen right there. It's amazing. These guys are on it. I knew, I knew it was the guys back there in the back. They had it all going on has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Think about this now. When he talks about light, knowledge, glory. Jews, they sought after light. The Greeks sought after knowledge, after wisdom. And Romans lived and died for glory. But Christians, you know where we live, die, and, and everything? It's Jesus. And Paul is saying it's all brought together so we preach Christ. We live our lives and we use our lips to share the good news of the gospel. And this is the reality, that God often uses trials, hardships, and the most difficult seasons in our lives to produce the greatest good, and that is Romans 8.28. He brings it out of these difficult seasons. And when you allow our light to shine in the darkest of times, then God sovereignly draws men and women to himself. And that's what Jesus said in the context of suffering and persecution, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory not to you, but to your Father who is in heaven. Glorify your Father. Glorify your Master. We preach Christ. Now, there's a, screen, there's a picture going to come on the screen. This is 1997. 1997, we're at camp. And I thought about, you know, you seeing Adam, you, you should probably sing, you know, there's no greater love than Jesus, right? That was a that was song Adam sang. And this is at camp. And we were just interacting this morning, and it just, it just fits. And I just want to share something with you that maybe you know or maybe you don't know. But then I want to take it and broaden that to say there's a lot that we don't know that only heaven will tell. So Adam was part of the youth group here. I think Eric was influential, right, in bringing Adam to Christ. Eric, where'd you go? Right over there, okay. And then playing ball, I'm back doing my spiritual gift, basketball, that I've been robbed from for 16 years now. And we're playing in the gym, and we're playing over there, and... Uh, In the classroom, then Adam comes out, and he's like, hey, Brother Brian, come on up here. My friend's up here. They were studying for their senior finals in the classroom next door. I was like, all right, well, I have a really good game going, or maybe I didn't. I was like, all right, I'll I'll get out of this. Hey, guys, I got to go. So I went upstairs, and Corey Fifield was in that room. And he said, my friend's here, and he's talking. I've been sharing the gospel with him, and uh, you talk to him. I was like, all right. So, hey, Corey, I'm Brian, and we were about 20 minutes. I shared the gospel with him, and Corey responded. He said, I appreciate that. I respect that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kneel down for you. And I'm like, well, that's a good thing because that's not how you get saved, okay? So he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make money. Those two guys graduated, and Corey moved to Chicago, and next to him were other believers that shared the gospel with him and other people that shared the gospel with him and God opened his blind eyes, and he came to faith in Christ. And every now and then, he would call me when we still lived over here at Maxwell, 303 Maxwell. And Ginger was like, Some, who's Corey? I'm like, I, he's got, I don't know. He's, I, I met him for a little bit. He's like, I don't want Jesus. He's that guy. Now he's calling me. I really don't know him. Hey, dude, man, I got questions. All right, let's talk. And the Lord chased him down. And saved him. And this next picture is about a month ago that Corey was in our church in Michigan. And from working at the Dodge dealership in Chicago and God saying, that's really not what I have planned for you. He comes to faith. I had been to one pastor's meeting in a church in Chicago at Armitage. And I said, go find that church. He went to that church. He tried to get into Moody. Couldn't get into Moody. Moody. So he started as a janitor and made his way through Moody, graduated, and now God has given him a ministry, a marriage, a family. And now he was in our church, you know, a few weeks ago sharing this ministry, focus ministry, planting the work. And this is just one moment. Just one moment. And to see these three, you know, all this... God, you know, I I really thank you for waiting all those years, Nathan, to get married so that it could happen right here, okay, on this weekend for this message. That was the plan, okay? And I just want us to say, isn't God amazing? So go ahead. Yeah, we're going to do it. (laughs) So don't lose heart. When you thought teaching that class, helping those kids, doing this, serving in youth ministry, driving a bus, doing whatever you do, did I really make a difference? Leave that up to God. This is just one thing that of God's hand. That now there's men all around the world and ministries around the world, and this is just one that I know of. And it's all God's mercy, and I get to be part of it and you who have been faithful and you've loved and you've done all that you've done in this body of believers and wherever you may be now, let eternity tell the story and let this encourage you. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. God's word never returns void. Never returns void. We preach Christ. God opens blind eyes. Oh, this is is a... This is a beautiful promise. He opened Paul's eyes. He opened my eyes. He's opened your eyes if you're in Christ. If you're here and you've never turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, today is the opportunity for you. Say, God, have mercy on me. these two things they're not just things they represent people lives before we left these this this photo album this golf ball they stay close to me helps me when I'm studying, when I'm preparing. Keep the main thing the main thing. And don't lose heart. There's good memories, and there's difficult memories. Before we left, my buddy, Bryant Dunkirk. Gave me that golf ball. Brian Dunkirk is in eternity. And there are many other cases. I was just talking to Andrew last night about another young man. Loved ones, it's easy to lose heart when things don't turn out the way we think they should turn out. But can we just go back to the basics and remember we're not God? And whatever is sown. Whatever we do, Paul says, it's not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. Here's the qualification, in the Lord. So wherever you are, wherever you are in life this morning, remember it's God who opens blind eyes. So don't be upset with your family if they're not yet believing, if you're struggling, don't be upset with them. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Just a reminder, here it is. If we're gonna fulfill our mission, stay on, fulfill our ministry, stay on mission, share the message, and glorify our master. Church, may we do this. All oh, may we do this. you see the end of this? Maybe you didn't close your Bible yet. At the end of 2 Corinthians 4, Paul comes back to where he began. And he says in verse 14, so, or 16, I got Andrew's allergies going on right now. I'm like, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, and that's so easy to do to see all the visible, but we look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Loved ones, if our eyes are on the eternal, we will not lose heart. The best way for me, the best way for you to not lose heart is to simply surrender our heart. To surrender our heart, to put it in that safe place. They say, God, here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Take my heart. Remind me of my heart and remind me of your heart. about these questions. Maybe over lunch today you can talk about them with your family or your loved ones. Where has the Lord shown mercy to you? How has he been merciful to you? Let's talk about his mercy today. Let's don't talk about us. Let's talk about the Lord's mercy. When am I most tempted to lose heart? When am I most tempted to become discouraged, disheartened? And lastly, what is your next step to have a right heart with God? Will you stand with me? the worship team is going to come and we're going to sing a song about Lord here's my heart maybe that's you today maybe this has been a good day for you to be reminded of where your heart should be and what the Lord has done in his mercy for you and we can leave it to the Lord in eternity of all the good and all the bad and how the Lord alone writes straight lines with crooked sticks you and me He is so good, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful that the Lord opened an opportunity to serve here. I'm thankful for you, the good and the bad, all of it, because God is sovereign, and he will be glorified. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross, and thank you, Lord, for your spirit, and thank you for your church. And Father, I pray over this body of believers that you will guide them, that you will draw them in all of these ways that we have talked this morning. Leadership, every aspect, Father, that this influence will continue for the glory of Jesus Christ. May every single person, Lord, be comforted by your spirit this morning and encouraged that courage is poured into every heart, every life, by the Spirit of God, so that each person, wherever they are, will be quickened, strengthened, and that they will carry on fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us, help us, oh God, keep our eyes on you, for you're the only one that will never let us down. And so we say it together and we're about to sing it together. Here is my heart, Lord.